let me start with a story. You guys like stories? Yeah? No? John is probably one of the most committed Christians you would ever meet. Uh, he helps out in youth group. Uh, he leads a Bible study. He's involved with a Christian group at uni. He's just an all-round great guy. Everyone likes him, and if you know him, he's the kind of guy you would call godly. He's the kind of guy you would think one day, one day he would go to Bible college and be in full-time ministry. But when John is by himself, when all the adoring friends have gone home, he knows that something is wrong. He would say, if only they knew who I really am. If only they knew the real me. They all think that I am perfect, but I'm not. Like all of us, John struggles with sin. Uh, but for him, it is one sin in particular, a sin that he had done in the past, a sin that, that continues to tempt him today, a sin that he struggles with. And his guilty conscience, that feeling of guilt, is killing him inside. There will be times and he, when he would wonder if he really is a Christian. And week after week at church, he would feel like such a hypocrite. His guilty conscience, that feeling of guilt is killing him inside. Friends, how do you deal with guilt? Uh, we're all sinful and we all experience guilt. Uh, we all experience our guilt accusing us. But what do you do when you can't shake that feeling of guilt away? You just feel so guilty that it paralyzes you. How do you deal with it? Now, our Bible passage today, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 18, will give us this answer. So let's pray before we look at this passage together. Father God, we pray that you will help us hear your word. Help us understand what Christ has done for us. And help us really take it in. And we give you thanks and we ask that the Spirit will speak to us today. Amen. Now, please have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 10, if you haven't done so. Um, and if you find it helpful, there will be, there's an outline as well of this talk uh, inside the church bulletin. You should have gotten it as you walk in. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, it begins with what I think is a great summary, a great summary sentence. It summarizes everything that we've been looking at uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, the old covenant characterized by the law points to something greater. It's a shadow pointing to a greater reality. It is using Warren's illustration last week, the e-ticket, not the plane itself. You see, you can't get to the U.S. by stepping onto the e-ticket. It's the shadow and not the reality. Have a look at the first part of verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. What a great summary sentence. The law points to something better, and that something better is, as we've seen in the book of Hebrews, is Jesus. Remember Jeff's illustration a few weeks ago? The, the law is like the, the rickety old horse cart. Jesus is the new BMW four-wheel drive. Jesus is better. So again, the author of this letter continues his argument. Don't go back to the law, guys. Don't go back to the old covenant. 
stick with Jesus because Jesus is better. And here he tells them that Jesus is better because Jesus is able to make them perfect. Able to make them perfect. The, the old covenant, the law, they cannot make us perfect. So because the law is only a shadow and not the reality, let's read on in verse 1. For this reason, it, that is the law, can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now just a bit, a bit of background in case you're not familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament law requires that every year, every year sacrifices be made for the sins of the people. You see, the people are sinful. They are sinful and their sin must be dealt with. So God, through the Old Testament, of, the Old Testament law, uh, told them to offer annual sacrifices. So bulls and goats are to be killed. Uh, their blood sprinkled on the people, and all of this has to happen because the people are sinful. But to put it simply, these sacrifices, they don't work. Animal sacrifices can't fix the fundamental problem. They can't fix the problem of sin. They can't make people perfect. Now, there's something you need to know about me. I am a sucker for those infomercials on TV. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The swivel sweeper. We've got one at home. Uh, the flavor wave oven. The sham wow. It's awesome. Every time I see those ads, I'm like, I want one of those. No, 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 I need one of those. So when we were on holiday in the US, the home of infomercials, there was this ad on TV for this thing called the Fix-It. The Fix-It. And the slogan is this, Fix-It. The scratch has met its match. And it claims by just one application, one application, it can remove any scratch on your car. It was amazing. I was like, I want one of those. I need one of those. But you see, there's only one problem. It doesn't work. <laughs> and yes, I checked on the internet. And you can always trust the internet. You can apply it as many times as you want. The scratch will still be there. The scratch has not met its match. I reckon they should have called it, can't fix it. Uh, friends, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they don't work. They, the people can make sacrifices as much as they want until there are no more bulls and goats in the world. They still won't fix it. And the logic behind his argument is this. Uh, remember the Old Testament? Uh, animal sacrifices had to be done every year. Every year it has to be done. Now, if it had worked, if it had worked, they wouldn't have to keep doing it now, would they? The fact that they had to do it year after year is proof that it didn't work. If it had worked, then the people would have been cleansed from their sins once and for all. If it had worked, then they would have been made right with God. If it had worked, then they would not have to feel guilty. Have a look at verse 2. If it could, would they, that is the animal sacrifices, not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all. 
and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The worshippers were not cleansed from their sins. They were still guilty before God, and they can't shake that feeling of guilt. Now, the question is this, though. What is it for, then? Why did God institute a whole elaborate system of animal sacrifices that simply doesn't work? Does God have anything against farm animals? Well, no. The answer is this. The animal sacrifices are supposed to be constant reminders of sin. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So every time they come together in the temple to sacrifice a bull or a goat, they are reminded of the problem of sin. They are reminded of their inability to fix the problem of sin. I mean, think about it. The problem of sin has to be so massive and so huge that it requires an annual reminder. Uh, Just in case you forget that you are sinful and repulsive in the eyes of God, let's have an annual ceremony where animals are killed to pay for your sins. Now, they don't really pay for your sin. It's just there to remind you that you are sinful and that something has to die for your sins. I mean, how scary is that? It's like a birthday, really. You know, anyone celebrating a birthday soon, recently? Huh? Happy birthday to you. Well, just in case you forget that um, you're getting older and you're a year closer to death, happy birthday. People need to be reminded of sin. And friends, sin is a big deal. Uh, God wanted Israel to remember it every year. Uh, He wanted them to know it again and again, and he wants us to know it as well now. If you haven't realized this, please realize it now. Sin is a big deal, but it is not a problem that can be solved with animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices, they don't work. They can't fix the problem of sin. They can't deal with guilt. They cannot make people perfect. And that's why Jesus came. And when he came, he did something completely different. See, he didn't come to offer animal sacrifices. He did something else. He came to offer himself in obedience to God. Have a look at verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, the author of Hebrews is quoting a a portion of of a psalm, Psalm 40, a psalm of David, probably written by King King David. And he attributes the words of David to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is saying these words. And this is what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 8 to 10, now, by the way, I think this is so cool. Uh, Because the author of Hebrew here is explaining what Psalm 40 is saying. He quotes a Bible passage, and then he explains it. It's so awesome. It's like what we do week by week here in Chatwood, isn't it? It's it's great. So what I'm I'm about to do now is I'm going to explain a Bible passage that's explaining another Bible passage. This is so cool. This is is like every Bible college dream come true. (laughs) Bible college student dream come true. 
maybe it's just me. Anyway. <laughs> but have a look how he explains this passage, verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Uh, Jesus sets aside the sacrifices, uh, the offerings, the old covenant. He abolished it that he might establish something else, something different, the new covenant. See, Jesus didn't come to offer sacrifices. That's not what God really wanted. What God really wanted was obedience. So Jesus came to obey God. Jesus came to do God's will. Jesus came to offer himself. And Jesus obeyed God completely. And ultimately, Jesus obeyed God by dying on the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And in obeying God's will, in, in being an obedient son of God, he did what the law cannot do. He did what animal sacrifices failed to do. He made people holy. He made people perfect. He dealt with sin. He made people right with God. By his sacrifice, he provided forgiveness of sins once and for all. For past sins, for present sins, and yes, for future sins. And when sin has been forgiven, there is no need to feel guilty. Have a look at verse 10. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You want to deal with your guilt? Don't use animal sacrifices. Count on Jesus' sacrifice. But how do we know it works? How do we know that Jesus' sacrifice is different and that it actually works? Well, the answer is the difference between standing and doing and sitting and waiting. Uh, the priest of the old covenant stands. He offers the animal sacrifices again and again because it doesn't work. But Jesus, our great high priest, he offered himself as a sacrifice for sins. And after that, what does he do? He sits down. It's done. He doesn't have to do it again. He sits down and he waits. He waits for the ultimate end when everything will be brought to their knees before him. He's finished. It's all done. He sits down. I'm still standing now because I'm not finished. Have a look with me in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands, performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You want to deal with your guilt? Animal sacrifices don't work. They can never take away sin. They can never take away guilt. But Jesus can. 
So the author of Hebrews, to support his argument again, like a lawyer in court, he calls his next witness. He calls the Holy Spirit to testify. And the Holy Spirit testifies through the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Now, we've looked at this prophecy a couple of weeks ago, and he's not going to go into detail again. Remember that prophecy about the new covenant, where God will put his laws in the hearts and minds of his people? Remember that one? Have a look at verse 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Remember how he talked about this covenant back in chapter 8? A new covenant through Jesus, a new a new covenant that doesn't require animal sacrifices, a better covenant, a better deal, a deal that is too good to pass. Do you remember that? Now, do you remember what it says about sin? Do you remember what, what it says about the sin of those who accepts this better deal from Jesus? Well, if you don't, let me tell you again. Have a look at verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Animal sacrifices don't work, but Jesus does by offering himself in obedience to God, by offering himself as a sacrifice, he dealt with people's sin. He made them perfect. He took away their guilt. It's all done. And it works so well that as far as God is concerned, the sins are gone, forgotten. And I think verse 18 summarizes it all very well. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. It's all done. Nothing else needs to be done. And so for the Jewish Christians receiving this letter, it would be completely ridiculous for them to go back to the old covenant. They have the same problem as we do. They too experience guilt that comes from sin, but they can't go back to the old covenant or the law or the animal sacrifices, because they don't work. They need to stick with Jesus. Now, we have the same problem. We sin as well, and as a consequence, we are guilty before God, and we feel that guilt. Now, I know none of you offer animal sacrifices in your backyard when you sin, but if you are like me, my guess is, my guess is this, you've tried to deal with your guilt yourself. And I reckon we do this um, in one of three ways. And this is what the world does as well. Three things. The first is this. We pretend that sin is not there. A guilt doesn't exist. We create a God in our minds who doesn't really care. A God who affirms our sinfulness. A God who just says, okay, you can continue as you are. You're wonderful. That way we don't have to feel guilty now, do we? So when we fall into sin, our guilty conscience begins to accuse us. We say to ourselves, it's not a big deal. Everyone does it. I'm sure God wouldn't mind. We push our guilt aside, we ignore it, and after a while, we don't even notice it anymore. It doesn't even accuse us anymore. Now, have you noticed little children? Uh, they're terrible at lying. You know, ask, ask a three-year-old, did you hit your sister? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I reckon they can't do it because they feel guilty, but as they grow up, they get better at lying. They just don't feel guilty anymore. So we can't push the guilt aside and ignore it. But it's like ignoring the big elephant in the room. You can ignore it as long as you want, but it'll still be there. And one day, one day Jesus will return and God will bring you to account for everything that you've done. And on that day, you cannot ignore that big elephant. 
you cannot ignore that elephant that you've ignored all your life. On that day, you will have to give an answer. Ignoring your guilt won't work. You need to run to Jesus and rely on his once-for-all sacrifice. Now, the second way, the second way we try to deal with guilt ourselves is this. We try to atone for our sins, not with animal as sacrifices, but by being religious. If I go to church more often, I'm sure it'll be okay. If I do more good deeds, I'm sure it'll be okay. If I pray more, I'm sure it'll be okay. If I give more money away, I'm sure it'll be okay. But it won't be okay. It won't. You know, if you crash your car and there's a big dent on the side of your car, now, this might be a surprise for some, but no amount of good driving after the accident will fix that dent. <laughs> Try it. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? We laugh at that idea, yet you think that your good things, the good deeds that you've done will, will fix your sins? Being religious won't work. You need to run to Jesus and rely on his once-for-all sacrifice. And the third way we try to deal with our guilt ourselves is, I reckon, is the worst out of the three. And that is to live with it. Just live with it. Live with the guilt. Uh, it's, it's really the worst because the people who do the other two, uh, by ignoring it or by being religious, Usually, they don't live their lives feeling guilty at all. You know, they live happily. They're still guilty before God, but they don't feel it. They live happily until Jesus returns, of course, and then they won't be very happy. But the people who decide to just live with it, live with their guilt, they live the worst life of all. And friends, ironically, ironically, this is what many Christians do. Uh, they know about the forgiveness that's available in Jesus. They know that Christ has died for them once for all. They hear it again and again, but uh, the feeling of guilt is so powerful that all of this just doesn't sink in. Uh, they trust in Jesus, so they've been forgiven, but they refuse to accept that forgiveness. So they live with that guilt. It's like a prisoner who's been completely pardoned. Uh, they've been freed from their shackles. Their chains have been taken away. The cell door is now wide open. Uh, but the prisoner refuses to leave the prison. Uh, he sits there in a the corner of his cell, whispering to himself, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. There is nothing more miserable than the sight of a person forgiven by Christ continually punishing himself. There is nothing more miserable. And friend, if this is you, let it sink in today. You have been forgiven by Jesus, completely cleansed of all your sins, made perfect before God. Stand up 
and walk out of your jail cell. Nothing will stop you. Enjoy the freedom of a life forgiven of all your sins. Enjoy coming to God. And you can because as far as he is concerned, you are perfect. Everything that needs to be done has been done on the cross. Everything that needs to be done is done. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. And when Satan accuses you of a sin that has been forgiven by Christ, you say to him, talk to the hand, Mr. Satan. And you keep walking, fixing your eyes on that cross. Fixing your eyes on that cross. Friends, there is only one way to stop feeling guilty. There's only one way that works. Actually, not just feeling guilty, but being guilty as well. And that is to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews 10, verse 18. Let me read it to you. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Let me read it to you again. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you as sinful men and women who cannot deal with our guilt before you ourselves. So we lay it down at the foot of the cross. And Father, we thank you for the complete forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus obeyed completely and that his obedience on the cross made it possible for us to be forgiven. We just have nothing to say, but thank you. And Father, please help us to always remember, remember this truth. Help us to keep going back to the cross to see that all our sins have been forgiven there. And we pray particularly for our brothers and sisters who find it hard to accept this truth. Please help them to realize that they've been completely forgiven. Please help them from this day on to enjoy the freedom that you've given them and the freedom you've given all of us who relies on Jesus. Again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.